ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. Man, there's a lot going on around the National Football League. We're going to dissect it with my partner here on the podcast, Miles Simmons. And I'm going to be joined a little bit later in the podcast by Mike Tannenbaum, who's the former general manager of the New York Jets, now works for ESPN, and also runs the think tank site called 33rd Team right now. But what the reason I wanted to have Mike Tannenbaum on is that he's the only person right now on the planet who understands what Joe Douglas and Brian Gutekunst are doing right now in trying to put a trade together to determine the value of Aaron Rodgers going from Green Bay to the Jets. So we're going to get uh, into that with Mike Tannenbaum, who 15 years ago this year actually pulled off a trade for the New York Jets for Brett Favre. So now history is repeating itself, as Mike is fond to say. But until then, we're going to talk about all the, you know, I, Miles, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but when I was thinking about the podcast this week, I just said, you know, I don't want to hit people over the head with Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson. You know why? Because they've been getting hit over the head with Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson for about a month. So we're going to save Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson to the back end of the podcast that's, that's, I, I hope it's the right decision, but I just figure that everybody who's sick of that, let's talk about other things first. You know, let's talk about, for instance, your favorite team so far in the first week of free agency, my favorite team. And plus we're each going to pick a team that we don't like what they've done so far in free agency. We're also going to discuss Adam Thielen to the Panthers for significant money. Why? Orlando Brown to the Bengals for not so significant money. Why? Uh, The Eagles decided to keep the old gang together. Why? And Baker Mayfield going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What it means, probably it's just a bridge to nowhere for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but we're going to discuss those things and others. And hello, Miles. How is life going in rainy Los Angeles? 
Uh, you know what? Life is pretty good, man. It, it could be snow. That's sort of what I keep saying to myself every time I look outside my window when it's raining. And it's not the weather that I was promised in Southern California. Having grown up in Cleveland, you know, when you got to scrape off the ice from your car in order to actually move it, you don't want to do that. And so, you know what? You can turn on the windshield wipers and you can get rid of the rain and you can still drive and you can still do whatever you need to do. But as long as I don't have to scrape off snow, I think I'm going to be okay, Peter. How's life in New York? Well, Miles, here in Brooklyn, we've got a sunny day. It's going to hit 60 degrees. Uh, it's just a reminder that baseball season is nine days away. And is it really a baseball oh, classic? I'm a, I'm kind of a closet Baseball fan, not so closeted, actually. <laughs> what do you mean I talk about it a lot. I write about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, and I always love when the NFL meetings are in Phoenix in March, because even though it's right at the end of spring training, you can bet I will be squeezing two games, maybe three, in in Phoenix when the NFL meetings convene starting this weekend. Uh, at the Arizona Biltmore Hotel uh, just north of Phoenix. So, Miles, let's just get into this right away. And I'll I'll give you the first go right here. I want you to tell me a team that you like in free agency. Then I'll tell you a team that I have liked in free agency. And then we'll go to a couple of dubious ones. You're on the board. Go for the team you like. Okay, I, I like the Lions, and I like what they've done in addressing their defense because obviously that was their biggest issue last year, and things started to improve toward the end of the season. But I like that they had specific targets, right? You wrote about this in your column. Cam Sutton is one of those guys that they really felt like if they targeted him and they could go after him and they could get him. And he got a really a nice deal, you know? It's more money than he's made. And then they add somebody like C.J. Garner-Johnson and, you know, you're just kind of feeling like, all right, this is a team that understood what they had to do. They were also patient in getting that safety as well. So I like that, and I also like that they have things that they can do in the draft. They've still got plenty of picks. They've got premium picks thanks to that Matthew Stafford deal and the way that the Los Angeles Rams season finished in 2022. So I like what they're doing so far, and I think that they are still a team that you know you can look at and say, yeah, they are on the rise. They've got plenty to prove, but there's not much to not like, I think, right now for the Detroit Lions, Peter. Yeah, I like what the Lions have done, too. I'm going to pick another team in that division, and I'm going to pick the Chicago Bears. Now, it's easy when you look at free agency to see the team that basically has photobombed the entire free agency period because they've been involved in almost everything. But first of all, I don't think you can talk about what the Bears have done in free agency without saying that they have set themselves up to get at least two players in this draft who should be able to help them this year, but also have set themselves up by getting DJ Moore and, and, and also in free agency getting Robert Tunyon to basically give Justin Fields a year with Luke Getze in which there will be no excuses. Now, they still need to address the offensive line, I believe with the ninth pick overall or maybe trading down slightly, 
that they're going to add one of the real good tackles in free agency, maybe Ohio State's Paris Johnson Jr. So we'll see. But the reason I mentioned, even though their big spending has been at linebacker, obviously, you know, by signing Edwards and Edmonds uh, Mm -hmm. away from Philadelphia and Buffalo, respectively, I think what really is interesting in what they've done is they have backed up what Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus, the GM and coach, told uh, Justin Fields early in this offseason, which is, we are going to get you some help. And the help that they've gotten them is basically a legitimate number one receiver in DJ Moore and some very good depth at tight end. They've got Cole Komet, who they think is a you know top 10 NFL tight end. He may be, but now they've got one of Aaron Rodgers' favorite receivers in Robert Tunyon, who even though he's been hurt some in Green Bay, provides really good tight end depth uh, and for very good value too. He, they get good tight end depth there. So I think what you're going to see the Bears do in the draft now is take a, a, at least one offensive lineman high and then address just needs to fill out the roster. They do not have an urgent need other than I would say to get one or two offensive linemen who would have a very good chance to play this year. So I like what the Bears have done. Give me your, be a nattering nabob now and give me your negative team in free agency. It, it, I, I'm, I'm hedging between two of them, but I'll, I'll pick this one. I, I don't love what the Saints have done, man. And, and it really just kind of starts and kind of ends with Derek Carr. And I say that because... I'm not sure that signing Derek Carr makes them a championship caliber team. And, you know, when you're talking about the Saints, you've always got to mention that they go through cap machinations, right? right? And they figure it out and they figure out a way to put a team together. But I don't know, Peter. I just, I look at what the Saints have done and you're still kind of relying on an oft injured Michael Thomas, which I don't like the point. But like, look, it's just the truth. His availability has been in question for the last few years and they've reworked his deal and that's all well and good. But does Derek Carr really make you a championship caliber team? I don't know. I don't even know if it makes them the best team in that division, unfortunately. And so they've got a lot of questions to answer with that. And so, yeah, it just, it starts and ends there. Is Derek Carr really going to be the solution for them? I don't know. And I don't even know if he makes them the best team in that division so far. And that that division is not even the best division in football. And to me, if that's the case, I don't, I don't really know how good of a signing that is, Peter. Yeah, I mean, you know, someday someone's going to write a good book on, uh, on what has happened to the Raiders. And this is a crucial year for Josh McDaniels. But yeah. I'm just going to tell you, Miles, last year, I was in training camp early on with the Raiders and I sat in on a 45 minute meeting with Josh McDaniels and Derek Carr. And to say Mm -hmm. they were symphonically one would be an understatement. They, you could just tell they were finishing each other's sentences. So Mm -hmm. I thought things were really going to go well. And I also think that when I look back to all his years in New England, You know, Josh McDaniels didn't always have a warm and fuzzy relationship with Tom Brady, but obviously 
it worked out. And Josh McDaniels coaches guys hard. And some players don't like that. It's obvious that other guys like Darren Waller and, and others have not liked it early on in Las Vegas. And so we'll see how that all works out. But I think that uh, for Derek Carr not to have worked in Las Vegas when he's got a coach who is designed to get the best out of his quarterback, look what he did with Jarrett Stidham. I, I don't think that's a good sign for Derek Carr. We'll see. Maybe Derek Carr now will prove Josh McDaniels and everyone in Vegas who doubted him wrong. But and you me. just look at the Raiders over the years. Josh uh, and and Derek Carr has just never gotten them over the top. And last year, arguably, was his worst overall year. And he leaves. And what happens? They play their best defense in football. And Jarrett Stidham shreds the 49ers with 365 yards and 31 points or 34 points. And again, look, that is a matter for another day. But And I'm not saying that Derek Carr is a bad signing. I'm saying that that is going to have to be a prove-it signing to me. But we'll see. Um, Miles, I'm going to pick out a team that might surprise you a little bit because they've been totally inactive in free agency, and there's a reason for it. I'm going to pick out the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens have not kept pace with the teams in their division. If you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, who've signed an excellent guard in Isaac Sumalo, um, and who also signed a corner who had one of the best years of a borderline Hall of Fame career, Patrick Peterson, uh, at corner. And then you look at the Bengals, who got a left tackle for the next four years in Orlando Brown, Uh, And all the Baltimore Ravens have done is sign five very, very low-cost, low-profile roster filler guys in free agency. That's all they've done. They have not tangibly improved their team. And there's a simple reason. Because they've got Lamar Jackson eating up a lot of cap space when they don't even know if they're going to employ Lamar Jackson in 2022. And I would just make this point about this uh, this sort of, uh, you know, bad blood apparently between the Ravens and Lamar Jackson that seems to be holding up a deal. I'm not sure there is as much bad blood as people think there is, but there obviously is some. For Lamar Jackson not to be signed right now, one of the things that he has to realize is that the longer he waits and the longer he basically holds the Ravens hostage, and you could argue, well, wait a second. The Ravens could just pay him a fully guaranteed five-year contract. As I have talked about on this podcast and in my column, paying Lamar Jackson a market rate, five-year, fully guaranteed contract, to me, would be the height of insanity. And so they're not going to do that nor should they do that for a guy who's missed 34% of the snaps the last two years due to injury. So by Lamar Jackson, not getting a deal done, not uh, sort of quote, playing ball with the Baltimore Ravens. It says to me two things. He doesn't really care that much about what this team is going to be like and all the, all the players that they lose 
by not being able to establish a contract with Jackson with a cap-friendly 2023 number that would allow them to go out and enrich their roster. So there's that. And then the other part of it is, and I've thought of this, Miles, he might be saying, I just don't care about the Ravens. And I am going to force my way off this team. Just watch me. And so at some point, you know, if they do not get this contract done, Miles Simmons, I don't know what the point is. Is the point going to be June 19th? Is the point going to be August 10th? What is the po- At what point, if they can't get a deal done and Lamar Jackson has not signed his franchise tag, at what point will the Ravens say, that's it, let's, and just cut him and just, and, and let him go and then move on this year with pick a guy, Matt Ryan, or, or some person to play quarterback this year and then figure that we're going to do something next year about our quarterback situation. The last thing I'll say about Baltimore, Miles, if I'm Eric DaCosta, if I'm John Harbaugh, if I'm Steve Bishotti, Ozzie Newsom, if I'm the brain trust of that team, I am saying who's the best quarterback in the second tier of quarterbacks beyond the top four? Who is it? Is it Hendon Hooker of Tennessee? Who, who exactly is it? And I would be telling my new offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin, we want you to study every one of these quarterbacks like you've got to take one to win games this year. Hmm. So I think you're going to see the Ravens take one in the top two rounds. We'll see. But if they don't have Lamar Jackson signed uh, by draft day, I'll be shocked if they don't take a quarterback in the first two days of the draft. Oh, Peter, I thought you said we weren't going to beat people over the head with Lamar Jackson talking the first part of the podcast. No, but I, I, Oh, I, I lied. That, I lied. That... <laughs> Look, I, I just, I, I continue to think that the way that Lamar Jackson has gone about this is bad business. And, you know, he has the right to do what he wants. He has the right to represent himself. He has the right to reject any contract that he doesn't want. But I, I think, Right now, kind of what you're seeing with the Ravens, and you pointed this out, right? It's a 32 million plus, a little over 32 million dollar cap hit that the Ravens have to have right now because Lamar Jackson is only on the franchise tender and he hasn't even signed it yet. So at this point, the Ravens are kind of hamstrung in what they can do, but at the same time, you you haven't really heard about any team being legitimately interested in trying to work out an offer sheet with Lamar Jackson. And so that is where there's just sort of this impasse. And, you know, I don't, I don't really know how that gets solved. And I think it would be good business for the Ravens to say, yes, we know we need to take some sort of quarterback because I mean, look, Tyler Huntley, I think is a capable backup but I don't know that trying to start him for 17 games is really going to get you to where you need to be right and I I say that with all due respect to Tyler Huntley but look I mean with the last time we saw him he was fumbling at the goal line and Cincinnati returned the darn thing for nearly 100 yards and you know had a game-changing play in that playoff game so it's just you're you're at this weird impasse you know Lamar Jackson does not have the deal that he wants and he can still seek it but yeah, I just, it, it doesn't seem to be good business, in my opinion, right now, 
with what is going on there. And I don't really know how you solve that without Lamar Jackson having some sort of change of heart, because at least right now it seems like he is very stubbornly, and this can be a good thing for him, right? If he gets all the money that he wants eventually, and I don't know that he's going to do that, but he is locked in on exactly what it is that he wants. We don't necessarily know that, but whatever it is that the Ravens have not been willing to match it. So at this point, you're just at this impasse and the Ravens have to have some sort of contingency plan where they will be okay at quarterback, not just, you know, in the coming year, even though they want Lamar Jackson to be there, you got a plan for the fact that he might not be. And yeah, I, I, I just, I don't know how else you can do it. Let's move to the Carolina Panthers, who I thought made a very curious decision that at first I said, this is idiotic. But the more I've thought about it, the more I've thought signing Adam Thielen is not really idiotic. Um, signing a- Adam Thielen, uh, they, the Carolina Panthers signed him three years, $25 million, um, $14 million guaranteed. That is a lot of money for a guy who the Vikings clearly thought was in decline. So the reason I believe that the Panthers did this is that they have an owner in David Tepper, GM in Scott Fitterer, who, uh, and they're the, the holdovers from, obviously, from after getting rid of the, uh, the coaching staff after this past season. They're the holdovers, and they basically have looked at their roster, and they have said, we have what we think is going to be a top five, seven, eight defense in the NFL this year. And we are going to take the guy who we think is the best quarterback in college football with the first pick in this draft. And he may play a lot. He may play it all uh, in 2023. Who knows what'll happen? But I believe that they think There's no team in this division that is really very good. Mm -hmm. And we refuse to say we, on opening day 2023, are playing for 2024. They don't have a Buffalo or a Kansas City in their division. They They certainly don't have a Philadelphia or even a Dallas in their division. So they say, hey, why not us? And... Aside from that, they get a guy in Adam Thielen who is going to be, his whole life, he's been told he wasn't good enough. His whole life. And now he's been told by the Vikings, we'd rather have K.J. Osborne and give him, you know, a lot more snaps and take yours away. And I believe Adam Thielen's whole attitude is, I'll show you. So a motivated Adam Thielen, I think, is going to be a good player this year for the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, I've liked Adam Thielen as a receiver for years and years. I mean, I I think when he and Stephon Diggs were together and, you know, doing what they did in 2015, 2016, that kind of era, those two were some of the best um, receiver duos that you could have in football. So I I think that having a reliable guy like that 
a veteran guy who can come in and really help a young quarterback along, that's something that's going to be very important. I mean, you talk about a third down target, that's somebody that you can count on with an Adam Thielen. So I, I like the signing for that reason. And I think we know that Frank Reich can coach offense, right? I, I don't think that there's much doubt about that. So when you have those guys and they're all going to be trying to train the quarterback, it's good to also have that veteran wide receiver presence who can come in. And yeah, he, the numbers haven't been as gaudy as they have been in the past. I think, you know, when you have a Justin Jefferson there who is arguably the best receiver in football. Yeah. Some of your targets are going to be off a little bit, but he's had at least 700 yards in each of the last two seasons. So I don't think that Adam Thielen is in so much decline that you can't rely on him anymore. And so, like I said, if you've got a young QB, you want him to have that reliable target. DJ Moore's no longer there. I, I think this is a good signing for a Carolina Panthers team that should be on the rise in 2023. Orlando Brown, four years, $64 million, Cincinnati. This was a weird, weird situation. Yeah. I mean, first of all, Orlando Brown was traded uh, a little more than a year ago, uh, almost two years ago, actually, from Baltimore to Kansas City. And he played two years in Kansas City, could never get the big contract that he wanted and essentially then put himself in position this year in the off season to strike it rich. I thought he was the best tackle available in free agency, but then something very funny happened. The Kansas city uh, front office, Brett Veach, the general manager, obviously Andy Reid said, you go, you go out and you seek what you, what you want to find out there. Uh, there was no way, I don't think, that Orlando Brown was going to come back and re-sign once uh, he couldn't reach a deal with Kansas City. It was kind of a matter of pride with him. And so then what happens is Kansas City goes out and signs a right tackle, mm-hmm. a career right tackle, Juwan Taylor. Not a great right tackle either. Uh, from Jacksonville to play left tackle, for four years, $80 million. Okay, and not only did that happen, but at the same time, uh, Laramie Tunsil was getting a three-year, $75 million new contract with the Houston Texans. And so right now, what has happened, and this is this to me is one of the oddities of what has happened. Orlando Brown signs for $4 million less than a career right tackle who's going to replace him at left tackle uh, in, in Kansas City. And he signs for $9 million less per year than the Houston left tackle. And, and I just look at this, and I almost say, what is wrong with this picture? And what I, the only thing I can gather is that Orlando Brown really overplayed his hand. And although the Bengals are the lucky beneficiaries of this, I don't think it's a great thing mentally for Orlando Brown, even though he's getting whatever, 33 million in the first year of this deal. When you get the money, you know, Mike Brown is not going to cave to him in year three and say, okay, let's give you a new contract. You know, so to me, I think that Orlando Brown, 
around next year at this time is going to have some significant buyer's remorse. He might, but he also might have another Super Bowl ring on his finger, you know? So I don't know if that will make up for it or not. I mean, I I like the signing for Cincinnati, certainly. I I think that when you have already kind of – done a rebuild of your offensive line it doesn't necessarily make you think okay well they're going to continue to invest in that spot but I think that they got better with Orlando Brown over Jonah Williams now we'll see where Jonah Williams ends up but look this is one of those interesting things that now is going to add another layer to this budding rivalry between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Cincinnati Bengals you know how much better is Brown going to be than Taylor if he's better at all? And so it's a it's an interesting bet too from Kansas City because you're you're thinking, well, they were in the benefit of the doubt in my mind that when they make a move, they they probably know what they're doing, right? Even if it is somebody who's been a career I right tackle. So. Yes. Yeah. That that you then say, okay, well, you're gonna put him at left and let's see what happens. I mean, after what happened in the Super Bowl that they played against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they did an entire rebuild of their offensive line. It worked, right? So now you had the second year of that rebuild of the offensive line. They won the Super Bowl. So they've earned the benefit of the doubt, right? But if you're Cincinnati, you also say, well, we know that we can't just rest on our laurels and we have to get better up front because even though we dominated the Bills up front, there were things that prevented us from winning that game against Kansas City Chiefs because our offensive line couldn't block at the end, right? So all of that being said, I like the signing for Cincinnati, I guess, more than I like it for Orlando Brown, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that's an ex- that is a great way to put it, a really good way yeah. to put it. Let's go to Philadelphia. The, e- the Eagles, I got the distinct impression in doing a podcast with Eagles GM Howie Roseman uh, four days before the Super Bowl that he was going to have some tough decisions to make. He knew it, uh, and he was probably going to lose some of his veteran players who had, who had carried the Eagles to this point. And I, quite frankly, I'm surprised that Jason Kelsey, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Darius Slay, who will play the 2023 season at an average age of 34 years old. I'm surprised that all four of those guys were brought back. And, and look, the Eagles have found a way to discover a little bit of the fountain of youth here because last year, Brandon Graham played only 43% of the snaps and he had his biggest sack season, 11, in his long and meritorious Eagles career. So maybe they have figured out, you know, play eight or nine offensive li- or defensive linemen. Don't overwhelm any of them. And we will get the best out of him. But I'll tell you, to me, and and also, by the way, Jason Kelsey, maybe he really has discovered the fountain of youth because he had a great year last year. He and Creed Humphrey are the two best centers in football. So you look at it, and I don't know. I'm going to look at this a little bit dubiously right now. And again, look, as I wrote my column this week, I do have an attitude, if you're an Eagles fan, in Howie We Trust because he has made so many good decisions, you know, in the recent four or five years, three or four years, that 
I don't sit here and say, Howie, dumb moves, idiotic moves. I don't say that. I'm saying that I'm from Missouri on this one. You're going to have to show me. <laughs> That's good, Marsh Peter. I like that. Much like uh, Brett Veach, I, I think Howie Roseman has earned the, the benefit of the doubt, right? Where you can say, okay, they've made so many shrewd moves in the past that have worked out that you understand that there must be some sort of method here. And they and you understand why they are doing what they are doing, even if you think, well, eh, I don't know. At first, you you, you kind of can give them the benefit of the doubt on that. I mean, I, I do like Jason Kelsey coming back for another season. I, I just think his leadership, his veteran presence is huge. I, I was sort of surprised that both Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox are back, you know, given that there were some rumors coming out of Cleveland that because Jim Schwartz is there now and, you know, he knows those guys from his time in Philadelphia, maybe one of them could come over and sort of show the way in Cleveland now. Um, but, you know, I, there's also something to be said about familiarity, right? And, and where you are and where you've been and how comfortable you are. And I think Nick Sirianni has fostered an environment that makes those guys want to stay and makes them want to play football for that particular organization. Um, and I also think that Jalen Hurts being the kind of quarterback and the kind of leader that he is also makes those guys want to stay around because they believe in him. So all those things kind of come together. And I don't know if the Eagles are going to be able to replicate all their success from last year. I think, you know, the history of the NFC East and no team repeating as division champions since I believe 2004 would kind of tell you that it won't necessarily be the same next year. Um, But I think that when you have an Eagles team that has had the kind of success that they've had under Sirianni, especially last season, it makes sense that not just the players, but the organization wants some more continuity um, in keeping those veteran guys around. So the last thing before we get to Mike Tannenbaum is the Baker Mayfield signing in Tampa. Baker Mayfield was going to get a job somewhere. I think getting a job at a team that clearly has to press the reset button while it eats the rest of Tom Brady's uh, salary uh, from obviously, look, I'm not in no way am I being critical. I would never be critical of a team that did everything it could to win a Super Bowl and then to try to win a Super Bowl again. But yeah. the fact is the Bucks are in reset mode now and Baker Mayfield is going to have every opportunity to say to Todd Bowles, Jason Light, and this organization, I am the guy long-term to lead this franchise. But I think, Miles, that when I look at Baker Mayfield, he is now employed by his fourth team in 15 months. If you go back to just 15 months ago, he was playing quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. And then, obviously... Carolina, the Rams, and now the Bucks. I always say this. You look at Yannick Ngakwe, uh, who is waiting to get signed somewhere, who is a productive player. Why is Yannick Ngakwe on a different team every year? Why? I'm not criticizing him. I don't know anything. I don't, but there has to be a reason for that. And it's the same thing with Baker Mayfield. If the Los Angeles Rams really trusted Baker Mayfield, And if Matthew Stafford was comfortable having him in the quarterback room, and if Sean McVay really loved him, he'd be on the Rams right now, I think. 
And the bottom line in this whole thing is this screams a one-year scotch tape job and then the Bucks trying to figure out the quarterback position when they have a little bit of cap room next year. Yeah, or, you know, if they're bad enough, maybe they'll be in that Caleb Williams sweepstakes. And I think that there are a lot of teams that might be looking at that 2024 quarterback class and saying, you know what, if we take this up, we bridge this thing this year, maybe next year that's what we'll be looking at. And that's kind of the way I feel about the Bucks and Baker Mayfield right now. I mean, I don't, I don't know what that competition is going to look like between Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask, if it will be a real competition or not. But it doesn't excite me. It's kind of the same principle of being in the NFC South and you look around and you're kind of like, oh, man, what, 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 what is this? Is there anything that really excites me here? And it's part of why, if you're the Carolina Panthers, you can look at it and you can say, well, why not us? Because what quarterback do you fear in the other three teams in the division? Desmond Ritter? Huh? And Taylor Heineke? With all due respect to those guys, sorry, I'm not, I'm not afraid. You know, Derek Carr, am I really that afraid? You know, I don't even know who's going to be playing quarterback for the Carolina Panthers yet, but I mean, you got Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask right there. So it's just one of those situations where you look at it and you're like, well, let's just see what happens this year. And maybe if Baker Mayfield plays extremely well, you stumble into something. But I don't know that we can anticipate that based on what we've seen from Baker Mayfield over the last couple seasons. Miles, we're going to go to Mike Tannenbaum right now. Uh, Mike, as I said earlier in the podcast, was in a very similar situation 15 years ago to the two general managers, Joe Douglas of the New York Jets and Brian Gutekunst of the Green Bay Packers, who were trying to hash out compensation for uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers. He He did the same thing 15 years ago with Ted Thompson. So let's listen to Mike Tannenbaum. Let's go back in time and let's ask him also what he thinks is the next step in this pretty difficult to resolve Rodgers to the Jets situation. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life. Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Happy to be joined by Mike Tannenbaum, the uh, former general manager of the New York Jets, among other jobs in the National Football League. And now the Grand Poobah of the 33rd team, which is a site that... Uh, sort of a think tank site with a lot of really good content now covering the NFL and 
Mike, thanks a lot for joining me. I know you're in transit today, but I appreciate you jumping on because I there's so much about Rodgers to the Jets that interests me, but you're the only one who really knows after, you know, the untimely death of Ted Thompson, who was the general manager of the Green Bay Packers in 2008, you uh, orchestrated the only other trade that's sort of like this one when you traded for Brett Favre in 2008 and as the general manager of the Jets. And now Joe Douglas, the general manager of the Jets, is trying to finalize a trade with Aaron Rodgers. Just so that I understand this purely now, you made this trade during training camp. Uh, so it was, you know, like three months later than it is now, three or four months later. And you traded for Brett Favre for a conditional pick. It would be a fourth round pick unless he played 50% of the snaps. Then it would be a third round pick. And if he led the Jets to the playoffs in 2008, it would then be a second round pick. As it turned out, it was a third round pick because he did play 50% of the snaps, much more than 50%, obviously, he played the whole season. And so you ended up giving a third round pick. But now, obviously, the Rodgers situation just seems different. And it seems like the Jets need to give significantly more compensation. So I wanted to ask you what you think is fair and what you think is sort of the holdup in this right now. Yeah, Peter, great to be with you. And there's a ton of similarities. Obviously, there's some material differences, like you said, the time of the year. Um, and also, I think the options available to each of the respective parties. In our situation, we had a very, very good quarterback. Chad Payton took us to the playoffs. Um, we just felt to get to where we wanted to go to beat Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. We uh, wanted to take a shot at Brett Favre, whereas I think the Jets are saying, hey, you know, we're in on Aaron Rodgers and Mike White's gone by the boys' side, Jimmy Garoppolo. And when Derek Carr's off the board as well, I think their options are limited. So to answer your question, I think a second-round pick this year and then maybe starting with a third-round pick next year that could go up to a first-round pick in 2024, depending on how much he plays this year and if the Jets go to the playoffs. The other protection I would want if I was the Jets now would be is some protection in that trade if he's not on the roster, let's say, by September of 2024. So not to make this too complicated, but two picks go from the Jets to the Packers. And then let's say in 2025, a fourth-round pick goes back from the Packers to the Jets if there's only a one-year deal. Because my concern for the Jets, Peter, would be is – you give up multiple high picks for a player and then you don't have those picks or player next season. Why wouldn't you then make it simply uh, a two this year and then you wait until 2025 for the conditional pick? And let's say it's a four if Rodgers doesn't play, but it goes all the way up to a one if he uh, if he uh, achieves certain whatever you know if he plays whatever 12 or more games I don't know what the conditions would be but that way it's it seems to me it's cleaner than getting involved in next year because if I were the Jets the problem with next year 
giving another pick next year, even if I'm going to get something back in 25, is that most likely by draft day 2024, we're going to know if Aaron Rodgers is playing in 2024. And so that's why if he's not playing, the thought of giving, let's say, a two this year and a three next year for a guy who gave you 17 games would really seem to me to be unfair. Give me your thought on that. It could be unfair, but it's also known as leverage, which is Green Bay signed Aaron Rodgers to a three-year deal last year when he was sort of um, not sure, you know, he was somewhat equivocating whether or not he wanted a play or not. And I think from a standpoint of a budget, a cap standpoint, by all all accounts, Green Bay is like, hey, we're in the second year of a three-year deal. Come back, Aaron. And if if you come back, and this is why I believe they have leverage, Peter, which is worst-case scenario for the Green Bay Packers is they're paying Aaron Rodgers $60 million this year, and they have a great backup in Jordan Love. Given the fact that 68 quarterbacks played last year, that's a really good place to be. And now they go right back to the top of the NFC North in terms of projections. And I think if I'm the Packers, I don't want to wait to 2025. I want to pick this year and next year, because if I'm Brian Gutekunst, if I make this trade and Jordan Love doesn't work out, and that 2025 draft choice is probably for the next GM. <clears throat> and I remember working with Ted Thompson, who I have a great deal of respect for and really admired, and he was a gracious man to work with on not only the Favre trade, but others. And talking to John Schneider was early on in those negotiations, Peter, when I was talking to Woody Johnson and Eric Mangini, our head coach, as well as Brian Schottenheimer, our offense coordinator, and some guy named Brian Dayball, who's our quarterback coach. <laughs> um, I They were like, are you sure they want to do this? And, you know, Peter, there's a great expression. It's not what you say in life. It's how you say it. And I'm like, guys, they are convicted to trade Brett Favre. They must feel great about this guy, you know, Aaron Rodgers. And when it got to the very, very end, I could hear in Ted's voice a little bit of like, oh, gosh, like I'm actually going to have to sign these trade papers. So, there, there's going to be a moment when this trade happens, and I believe it will happen, Peter, where Brian Gunnikunst is going to have this document on his desk that he's going to put his name on it, and he's trading away a Hall of Fame player. Now, it's by all accounts the right thing to do. It's time to move on from Jordan Love, but there will be that moment. And again, now, if Jordan Love doesn't work out, the consequences could be significant for the Green Bay regime. You know what's amazing when you think about it, Mike? That the Green Bay Packers, for three decades, three decades, like if you're 38 years old right now, and you've been a Packers fan your whole life, you don't know anything other than Hall of Fame quarterbacking. It's amazing. Like you look at a team like the Jets. The Jets have been looking for that quarterback since Joe Namath. And, and it's just, it's so hard to find. And they've had two of them for 30 years. I, I think the context of what you're saying to me is I can't wait for the Peter King podcast in 2037 when Joe Douglas is on talking about should the Jets trade for a disgruntled and disappointed Jordan Love who can't figure <laughs> out if he wants to you know, end his career in Green Bay or not. Yeah, I mean, that's right. it's, just, it's just unbelievable how long. I mean, you're talking about back-to-back to the all-time greats and more fundamentally, Peter, durable. And the amount of years that they were able to play at a high level is just incredible. Let me just go back and ask you one history question. I remember that time with Favre, and I remember you going down with a small group that included included your wife, I guess, to to talk to Brett's wife, Deanna. Um, you went down to convince Favre 
who at the time I didn't think wanted to play for the Jets, you went down to convince him to Hattiesburg uh, to play for the Jets. What'd you say to convince him? Well, first of all, it was really the culmination of an incredible, you know, couple of weeks of recruiting him that included Brian Dayball, Brian Schottenheimer, um, Woody Johnson, and Eric Mangini. I, I think the most fundamental part was he was a great competitor. Um, I knew he loved the game. I think it was really overcoming the stigma of New York. I think there were people in his ear, Peter, saying, hey, you go play for the Jets. You're going to be playing in Times Square, and then it's crowded, and there's traffic. So we we work really hard at you know, just telling him the truth, which is Forum Park, New Jersey, is, is is stunning. It's really rural, believe it or not. And you're 30 minutes from New York City, but you're also 20 minutes from beautiful farms. And um, I basically told him every Tuesday, you're going to have to hunt and fish. And I'm going to fine you for every Tuesday that you miss a mandatory hunting and fishing mm-hmm. session. And that really started to turn the tide of like, he's like, I think he could start picturing what life would like to be like as a New York Jet. And I think that was really the opening we needed. What do you think now is going to happen, if you had to guess, with Joe Douglas, the Jets GM, Brian Gutekunst, the Packers GM, who in many ways are in the exact situation you were in with Ted Thompson in 2008? I think the next pressure point is a couple of weeks from now when the offseason program begins. And here's why. Nathaniel Hackett's going to go out for OTAs and mini camps and the offseason's going to begin. And, and it's sort of like a behind the scenes spring training where everyone just has incredible hope and optimism, new coaching staffs or new position coaches, free agent signings. And everybody knows if they trot out Zach Wilson for rep one with, you know, Garrett Wilson and the rest of those guys gonna be like, what are we doing here? And that could eviscerate morale. Now, look, that doesn't mean you you go from where they are to three number one picks. Of course not. But it does create a sense of angst, and it does create a sense of urgency. Like, every day that we're not putting this offense together, it's a day that's really hurting us. And if you study the Packers by month last year, Aaron Rodgers wasn't in the offseason program, and with their two young receivers, Christian Watson in the second round, Romeo Dobbs in the fourth, they got better as the season went on. If I'm Joe Douglas, I can feel a sense of urgency. And Peter, one of the many things you you cover incredibly well, which I personally find fascinating, is typically in late April, early May, we get the national TV schedule. We get the schedule for the whole year. This could become the Aaron Rodgers trade rule. We may not get the schedule till July 4th, and here's why. If this trade happens, the Jets become a national team. If they don't, they aren't. And if I'm Howard Katz and Mike North, the schedule makers of the NFL, I got to tell Roger Goodell, hey, we need to wait. We we may have a new tradition. It may be the July 4th schedule on Veal Show because I think, and you know this way better than I do, Peter, I think the consequences of this trade and the tentacles, when you think about the national TV deal, you talk about potential New York Jet season ticket sales, New York Jet sponsorship. There's a massive amount of tentacles that flow from one decision. You know, I can't help but thinking, and you're absolutely right. I, I wrote in my column this week that an Aaron Rodgers quarterback team with the New York Jets puts Roger, puts the Jets in prime time on the first weekend of the NFL season, either Sunday night, which I think it will be, uh, or Monday night. I could definitely see Sunday night Eagles Jets opening game on Sunday night football. You know, there's other ones. It could be Jets Bills. 
I mean, the Jets beat the Bills last year with Zach Wilson. Imagine what MetLife Stadium would be like on opening night, Sunday night of kickoff weekend with the big, bad Buffalo Bills coming in town to play Aaron Rodgers. I mean, that would be one of the most electric football games in New York in a long, long time. But I, I keep wondering right now, Mike, and, and, and we'll end with this. I keep wondering if the New York Jets right now are thinking like, we've got to do everything in our power to convince Aaron Rodgers to give us at least a second year. And you know, Mike, th this, is, this is the thing that would scare me the most. His quote to Pat McAfee last week in which he said, when I went into the darkness retreat, I was 90% retired. If I'm Joe Douglas and I hear that, I am scared bleepless about this deal because we're trading now quite possibly for a one-year Band-Aid. Do you have any, Is you can't really legally, right, demand two years from him, uh, but don't you want to have that conversation about what his intentions are? 100%, it's a great point. And uh, from there, everything flows. What you could do is say, hey, look, Aaron, we need a two-year marriage and we're going to pay you 60 million a year. So let's just say the number is 120. We're going to pay you $30 million in year one and 90 in year two, which is fully guaranteed. We have the right to prorate it out to lower the cap number, but we, we need a two-year uh, agreement. And the only way we can do that is financially. So we'll give you the number you want, but we need the structure we want. So we're going to have to stretch on this compensation with Green Bay. And the only way that's reasonable to us, if we know that you're here for at least two years. So I think it's a great point, Peter. And that's the way from a GM perspective, you could sort of like minimize your risk by the structure of that contract. Mike Tannenbaum, really appreciate your expertise, your help. Um, I'll always remember the 2008 story with Favre uh, because I was legitimately concerned that you were not going to be able to convince Brett Favre. So you're a better salesman than I. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, listen, I, I, I wish you luck with 33rd team. I really like it. I think it has some great content. It's fun. Uh, you've got some good, energetic young people there. So all the best with the 33rd team. Yeah, thank you. Just like at the Jets, I have some great teammates at the 33rd team. So thank you. I appreciate it, Peter. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. 
Back on the podcast, my thanks to Mike Tannenbaum uh, from an airport lounge in Fort Lauderdale on Tuesday morning of this week. He's off doing business. And my big takeaway from there, and let's get into Aaron Rodgers. And look, you're right, Miles, I lied in the first part. Uh, (laughs) I got way over the top getting into Lamar. So let's spend the second part of this podcast on sort of the future of Aaron Rodgers and how many tentacles this has. I wrote about it a little bit in my column this week that uh, the Aaron Rodgers to the Jets uh, thing, assuming it happens, is going to make the Jets one of the five or six teams in the NFL this year that, assuming it happens, will result in the Jets getting maximum exposure with five primetime games and also with maybe 11 or 12 games total on national TV. So I guess I would just ask you, Miles, with what Mike Tannenbaum said about how difficult it is to actually craft uh, the compensation. I have basically maintained that what I think is fair is a two this year and then skip 24 and then go to the 25 draft and say, okay, a third or a fourth round pick at least. And then if Aaron Rodgers plays a significant amount uh, in 2024, then that draft pick would rise to a one. So in essence, you would pay second and first round picks over the next three drafts if Aaron Rodgers ends up playing two years with the with the New York Jets. So what's your sweet spot as to how this deal gets done? It's interesting, Peter. I mean, I, I, I tend to think that a, a one this year probably isn't going to happen either. And I don't know that if I'm the Jets, I want to do that because frankly, you don't know exactly how much you were going to get from Aaron Rodgers and not just, I mean, obviously this year he would play, but you don't know how much you play next year, what his level of play is going to be. There are a lot of things that you still don't know. So I, I was thinking that it would be a conditional whatever pick, maybe a, a, a three that rises to a two that could then rise to a one for 2024. But I actually like your idea a little bit better because if you if you then know that he plays in 2024 and how much you get out of him in 2024, then you do get better compensation in 2025. Then that thing could rise to a one. So I kind of, I'm, I'm sort of doing the bad sports radio kind of deal and like agreeing with you, but I actually like your idea way better than I like <laughs> mine. So let's go with that. <laughs> well, you know, what was interesting? Tannenbaum said something to me that I didn't realize. And that's, coming from the mind of a general manager, that Brian Gutekunst is not going to want to wait. He might not even be the general manager of oh, the Packers. True. And I'm not, I have no idea what, he might not even be the general manager of the Packers in 2025. Yeah. I mean, you just don't know. So he, Mike Tannenbaum did not think that Brian Gutekunst was going to want to wait until the 25 draft. So we'll see, but... I think, first of all, it'd be ludicrous for the New York Jets to give a one this year in any form, even if he got something back. Uh, the Jets have whatever they have, like the 13th pick in the draft. I might, I should have that in front of me, but don't. Uh, and that, to me, basically says a lot about the direction that this thing is going to go. 
because if I'm Joe Douglas, uh, the general manager of the Jets, it is absolutely off the table, a one this year. I wouldn't do the deal, period. And if they want to sit on Aaron Rodgers and pay him $60 million to sit behind Jordan Love this year, because, look, if this thing breaks down, how much of a chance do you think that Aaron Rodgers is going to willingly and happily step foot in Packers training camp in July? I, I love the people who say, essentially, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, the, all the uh, leverage is with the Packers. You know, they're the ones who have Rodgers. The Jets have to come to them. I think that is nonsense. It's not. <laughs> I don't think either team... I think I think it's 60-40. You can talk about leverage either way. The Jets, yeah. if the Jets are doing the right thing, they are not saying we'll give you our one this year. Nor should they in any circumstance give their one this year to the Packers. You do not want to give your first round pick for a rental who's going to be around your team for five months. It's that's ludicrous. Anyway, the other thing I wanted to get into a bit, Miles, is how this really affects the rest of the NFL. And the way it affects the rest of the NFL is that it is going to have a massive impact on the schedule this year in the National Football League. Think about if the Jets play at quarterback this year, you know, pick a guy. Uh, I doubt it'll be Zach Wilson. I think they would much prefer to bring in almost anybody because they want (laughs) Zach Wilson to have a reset year. Uh, And I think that's smart of them to do it. He's got a lot of learning he needs to do. He needs to be a student this year, maybe play some, but certainly not play the majority of the snaps this year. So whether it be, and I discussed maybe Matt Ryan for Baltimore, whether it be a guy, somebody who, you know, is going to be a really good influence on Zach Wilson and give you a chance when you play really good teams. A guy who was won before. And that's why, to me, uh, a Matt Ryan type, if he would take that role this year. I don't even know what Matt Ryan's thoughts are right now. But I think that the Jets ought to just say, listen, we have this absolute feeling about what we're going to pay and and then just stick with it. But as it relates to the rest of the league, as I wrote my column on Monday this week, the situation is that if Aaron Rodgers plays for the New York Jets, who last year out of 17 games played 16 of them in the early Sunday afternoon window local time, 16 early games, and then they played one game, which every team has to have at least one game, one prime time or national window game. They played the Jacksonville Jaguars on December 22 in a very weird placement of of a Thursday night game. But it turned out to have some meeting after all. But what I think is going to happen is the Jets will max out their national TV appearances and they will make, as somebody who knows this business very well said when I was talking to him over the weekend. And I said, what about the Jets and the Cowboys for the first Sunday night game? 
or maybe even Monday night game. And he goes, that's too good of a game. I said, Hmm. what do you mean? And he said, Aaron Rodgers against the Dallas Cowboys. He said, you know, the Dallas Cowboys will get a giant rating on in prime time if they play the Washington Generals. Okay. And so you have to understand that what the, you know, as this, as this guy said, one of the five most attractive games on television this year is Aaron Rodgers against the Dallas Cowboys. Mm. And I never thought of it that way, but then I started to think, man, might be too good for opening weekend of the season. Might be one of those marquee games that become a tentpole primetime game for ESPN or for NBC on either Monday or Sunday night. Anyway, Mm -hmm. so now we have to wait to make sure that Rodgers goes to the Jets to sort of see how it impacts the schedules for all 32 teams in the league. Yeah, that's one of those interesting things. And, you know, uh, the computers are going to be doing the work there to make sure that those games that are for the Jets, presuming that Aaron Rodgers is going to be there, are going to be in those marquee spots. But, yeah, I mean, like, Jets-Cowboys, if Aaron Rodgers is there, assuming that he will be, I mean, that, to me, spells, like, week four, week five, you know, early enough in the season that you believe people are still going to be healthy, but later enough so that the teams are starting to get more established and they're kind of at the height of their powers and what they can be in those early, earlier ish windows. And like that first quarter of the season. But yeah. I mean, I think that that game is going to do some giant numbers. So, you know, as, as a good old NBC employee, I hope we get it. <laughs> so, you know, the one other thing that, that I feel is, kind of a significant date to watch for uh, for Aaron Rodgers. Okay, so I don't think anybody assumes that Aaron Rodgers will be a full-time participant <clears throat> in the Jets off-season program. So understand, the Jets off-season program begins, I believe, on April 17, which is a Monday. All teams that have new head coaches are allowed to start the off-season program two weeks earlier. But in an ideal world, the Jets would want Aaron Rodgers in the building on April 17. Kind of doubt that's going to happen. But the big deadline, I believe, is going to be April 27. That is the end of the second week of the off-season program in the NFL for teams that have head coaches that are returning. And it's also the day of the first day of the NFL draft. And I believe that if you're talking about a hard and fast deadline, that to me, the most significant deadline will be at about 5 p.m. on April 28. So that's Mm -hmm. Friday. That Mm -hmm. is just before the start of the second round of the NFL draft. The way the NFL works, as you all know, the draft day one is on Thursday. Uh, That's round one. Rounds two and three on Friday, April 28th, and rounds four through seven on Saturday, April 29th. So I think that the most logical scenario, at least to me, is that the, uh, the 
NFL draft on day two, which would include the Jets' second round pick, which is mm-hmm. about the highest that I think the Packers could actually hope to receive this year. That, to me, is the real deadline. April mm. 28, late afternoon, that's when this deal has to get done. I wouldn't be all that concerned if it lingers another even two or three weeks because each side knows that then, if it doesn't get done by that day, all of a sudden, April 28, all of a sudden, I think there should be legitimate worry over whether both teams are going to be so dug in that maybe there becomes this limited possibility that it doesn't get done. Yeah. And if it doesn't get done by then, I mean, that, that is where the, your heels are maybe a little too dug in on both sides for this to, to really work out. I I think that's an interesting element of it because it's not just, I think one other part of this to talk about here is once you get out of phase one and into phase two of the off season program, that's when you can be on the field and kind of doing things with yeah. your respective unit, you know? So whether it's offense, your defense, you know, you can be on the field with coaches and you can do all that. You're not going against the uh, other unit, but you are still there. And I think that that's an important aspect of this especially when you're with a a new team is to be there and to kind of get to know the guys, start to get to know what their style is, start to understand, you know, how the ball comes out of Aaron Rodgers' hand and all that. And, you know, with however many friends of Rodgers there are going to be on the jets, we will see with that. And I guess they don't necessarily need to get to um, get to know them that well, but you're still going to have a guy in Garrett Wilson who, you know, is a young guy and who needs to get to know Aaron Rodgers and the way he throws the ball. And they, those two guys have to develop chemistry. So that's an important aspect of it from that standpoint. And then if you're talking about the green Bay Packers, you have to get some sort of compensation this year. And if it's going to be a two, if it's going to be a two or a three, then you would need to know that before the two or the third, the second or the third round start. So I, I think your date right. of that April 28th, you know, around 5 PM Eastern, let's call it. I, I think that that does make sense. But if you're the jets, you do want to get this done sooner. I think just for the peace of mind of knowing that Aaron Rodgers is actually on your roster. And then everybody can really talk about this more freely than it is right now. I mean, yeah, Aaron Rodgers has said that's his intention is to play for the jets, but until it gets done, he's still under contract with the green Bay Packers. And so, you know, leverage this, leverage that, whatever it is. Right now, it's just, you know, three people kind of staring at each other or Aaron Rodgers staring at both sides and being like, hey, man, get this done, please. And I think that's why he was on Pat McAfee's show last week and said the things that he did because it's like, hey, I just want to let the get the wheels more and more in motion for this thing to be resolved. But Packers are saying, we want what we want. And the Jets are saying, we're going to give what we're going to give. And at some point, I do think that they're going to get it done, but I don't know when that's going to be. So, Miles, just to be technically correct here, the Jets have the 13th pick overall in the first round. They have the 12th overall pick in the second round. That's number 43 overall. Remember, there's only 31 picks in the first round because Miami forfeited it in the Stephen Ross, Tom Brady, Sean Payton derby. Uh, for that violation. So what makes sense to me, as I've said, is the 43rd pick overall this year, plus something in the future to be determined. But I think that needs to be based on whether Aaron Rodgers actually 
plays in the second year with the New York Jets, and we shall see in the coming weeks how that plays out. But I do think that the compensation will be uh, decided over two drafts. And that's because I don't think that the Jets are going to bend on giving the one this year. Anyway, we'll have plenty of time to talk more hot air and more nonsense about Lamar Jackson (laughs) and Aaron Rodgers next week. Just kidding. Just kidding. Look, next week, I'm going to be at the NFL uh, owners meetings in Phoenix. We will have some news out of there. I'm not sure exactly the day we'll post next week. So be a little bit flexible because if I think that late in the day Tuesday or very early Wednesday, there could be some more definitive happenings, both in potential rules changes, which I don't think there are going to be many of, and also in potential news uh, otherwise in the NFL. We'll get into that next week. So just for your understanding, there may be, it may be one day later next week that we will post the Peter King podcast. But thanks so much for listening to this episode. And we look forward to talking to you next week from Phoenix at the NFL Owners Meeting. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.